read this introduction to the book by Joni Erickson Tata, uh, I was actually floored and gut-punched. And I, I want to read it to you because I, I think it will help frame our series. Joni says this, When a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed. I told my sister, just close the drapes, turn out the light and shut the door. My paralysis was permanent and inside I died. She continues, you don't have to be in a wheelchair to identify. You already know that sad situations sometimes don't get better. Problems don't always get solved. Conflicts don't get fixed. Children die. Couples divorce. And untimely deaths rock our world and shake our faith. We try to manage like jugglers spinning plates on long sticks. When we feel utterly overwhelmed, we try soaking in the tub, sweating on the treadmill, splurging on a new dress, or heading to the mountains for the weekend. We smile and say we are trusting God, but deep down, we know it's a lie. We're only trusting that he doesn't load us up with more plates. When I read that, I felt like I'd been punched in the gut. My shallow theology of suffering was quickly exposed for what it was. A hope that things will actually just get better. For in my life, they always have. I have not been immune from suffering, anguish, pain and trial, yet things have gotten better. Prosperity has returned. Good times have followed the darkness and so quickly I would move on. Uncomfortable with the pain, but confident that the good times would continue. And I wouldn't really ponder or meditate on those hard times. I wouldn't really cry out to God or grieve them or lament them. I would just move on, trusting in God. But really, I was only trusting that he wouldn't load me up with more plates. I was trusting that I wouldn't be one of those people that would live with a lifelong debilitating illness pain or difficulty. Sure, of course I know suffering will come in my life. As sparks fly upwards, surely troubles fall. But my trust was and is, I think, fragile because it's contingent on rebound. It's contingent on circumstance. And in a fallen world, blessing and prosperity 
is no guarantee and rebounds don't always happen. And then I started studying lament and opening the door to some of the suffering and pain in my life that, and in the lives of those around me that I'd realized I, I, I just hadn't dealt with so much. I just moved through and on. And I realized that there's actually a whole biblical way of properly dealing with the sadness, the struggle, the pain, the distress, the death, all the problems in our life. There's a way of dealing with it with God. What about you? I have a feeling for some of us, for most of us, that perhaps I'm not alone. That for many of us, we suppress over time those difficult emotions, bury them back down when they rise up. Those doubts about the goodness and character of God, we squash them. Those fears, those terrors, and we press on and smile. We really do raise our hands in worship. We really do pray. We really do trust. But there are still parts of our life, parts of our soul, and parts of our humanity that in some ways are off limits because we just won't enter in, not knowing what to do. They're off limits to God and they're off limits to others in our community. There's questions you're too afraid to ask because it's unsettling and dark and uncomfortable. Why did you do that, God? How long is this going to go on? Are you really there? Do you really actually care? Or perhaps you just want to scream, this is not fair. Now we may feel those emotions at first and those questions, but what about five, ten years on and you still feel them? What do we do? It's not something that you feel like you can blurt out at life group. You come to church and we sing beautiful songs like we opened with this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. A wonderful song, but there's part of you which is like, but really? I don't know. Part of you feels it. Part of you is cold to it. Part of you is doubtful that it's really true. Because what, what do we do as Christians post-resurrection, pre-heaven, with all the pain in our life? What do we do with the pain of divorce, the pain of death, the pain of a relationship ending, the pain of ongoing singleness, the pain of recurrent barrenness, a womb that is never full, the pain of wayward children and friends and family who've walked away from the Lord, the pain of ongoing financial stress, the pain of physical illness, the pain of daily fears and anxieties, the inability to get out of your head and being assaulted by those thoughts. Well, thankfully, 
mercifully and graciously. God has not left us in the darkness of our pain to fumble about aimlessly. Instead, he's given us a pathway, a pathway in the pain to trust again the promises of God. That pathway is the practice of lament. Today, we're going to do two things. We're going to introduce the category of lament to us as a church, explain what it is, how to do it, and why it's crucial. And secondly, I'm going to walk through this psalm, Psalm 77, briefly at the end and explore the first step on this pathway that God has given to us from pain into joy. But I have one hope, a grand hope for each of us this morning. No matter how you walked in, no matter what pain you carry and doubts and darkness, that you would turn to God and keep turning to God in prayer no matter what. My hope is that at the end of today that you would turn to God in prayer with whatever it is and keep turning to God no matter what. So let us firstly get an overview of lament. What is this thing? So this is point one, an overview of lament. I've said this many times here, but when I was graduating and actually studying at Pastors College in the US, C.J. Mahaney often said a piece of advice he was given when he was my age and starting out in pastoral ministry, prepare your people for suffering. You can't avoid it. It's so much of the pastoral life, so prepare them for it. But I also realised that I need to prepare myself for suffering too, as I shared in the opening that I think I have a fragile theology of it, contingent upon things just getting better. So I began to read this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, which you can buy in our little bookshop at the back, a book that was born out of his suffering as he dealt with a stillborn child that his wife had to give birth to dead at 39 weeks. As they then dealt with multiple miscarriages and even a false positive pregnancy, as he pastored a large church and had to deal with everyone's sufferings and how do we walk through all of this? And he found lament. He found this ancient practice that in some ways has been forgotten by the contemporary church as a way, an untapped reservoir of grace and reality and honesty and truth to deal with it all. I found this book incredibly helpful and in this book, he outlined a path of learning how to lament. And I instantly recognized that this is actually what we need as a church. I'd already planned to do a series on Lamentations, the book that follows Jeremiah in the Bible, but realized that actually before we learned from Lamentations, we needed to learn how to lament. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to learn how to lament. And maybe at some point, then we'll study lamentations and learn from lamentations. Lament, in some ways, is making a bit of a comeback. If you have noticed, there's a few more books on it. Uh, there's a bit of a resurgence in this literature. As I said, it's been a neglected element of the Christian life, and certainly in my life. But if we study this great book, 
the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, we'll see that lament is actually woven through so much of the pages of Scripture. Firstly, there's an entire book called Lamentations, perhaps a clue that we need it. The book of Psalms, 150 songs that were given to God's people, now our songs, over a third of them are songs of lament. Austin and I met on Thursday and we read through 40 of them in one go, just to gain a sense and a survey. And it's one of those things when you, when you start your Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year and you start with Psalms and you read Psalm 1, you think, oh yeah, blessed is the man who walks not in the, you know, and you read, that's great. You read Psalm 2, it's this great kingship Psalm, like God's going to crush all the enemies, great. But then Psalms 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, they're all lament psalms. And I've always been confused by that. I'm like, it's January, it's summer, life is good, and this is depressing. But they're here to teach us how to deal with life. A third of the psalms are lament psalms. In fact, one of these psalms on the cross, as Jesus was to give up his life, the last words recorded by Mark is Psalm 22, one of the most poignant lament psalms. And Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lamented on the cross. The early Christians lamented over Stephen's martyred body in Acts 8.2. The bloodied martyrs in heaven cry out in lament before the throne of God. This is in heaven. Lament exists. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Picking up the language of Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? And even in the triumphant passage that John prayed through in his prayer, which we didn't plan, Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of God? He quotes Psalm 44. I've always wondered, why is that in there? It's a lament psalm. Even in the midst of triumph, there is lament. And he quotes, we are being killed all the day long. You read the narratives you'll find lament all throughout the Bible. And yet we often neglect it, or at least I have, not knowing what to do. Not knowing really how to deal with it. And so we need a guide. We need to discover lament. And I want us to discover it together as a church so that we can learn how to do it and do it well. So we can learn how to process our pain in prayer in a way that is biblical and a way that God intends us to. So let's ask three questions to orient ourselves in lament. Firstly, what is lament? What is lament? Well, Mark Rogoy, I don't even know how to say his name, but that, I'm going to go with that. He says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer, okay, first of all, in pain that leads to trust. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. It's not a completed thought. It's the process of thought. It's not solving the problem. It's experiencing it. There's your pain and there's the sovereignty of God. 
And there's this question of why and how long and are you good? And lament is the pathway to help us to deal with those tensions. It's not simply grief. It's more than grief. We weep and we cry and we mourn. Uh, Lament is is a process that you can keep coming back into. It's not a one and done. It's a, you can lament 10 years, 20 years, 30 years after someone has died or some situation has occurred. It's an ongoing prayer in pain that takes us back into actively trusting God again. It's a way to discover a path to joy in the midst of sorrow. And it doesn't have to remove the sorrow. That's the beauty of it. And lament is Christian because it's a prayer. It's a prayer based upon the fact that you already believe God exists. You already believe that he's good. You already believe that he's faithful. You already believe that he's sovereign. You already believe that he cares. And so you pray to him because you don't understand. It's not just internalizing. It's not just expressing your thoughts. To lament is Christian. In his book, he says that to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. It takes you faith to lament. If you had no faith in God, you wouldn't pray to him. And even if you're not yet a Christian, you've probably prayed to God in your hardest times because deep down you might believe he actually exists, but you don't know how to get to him. Maybe lament might help you get there. So what is lament? Well, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Secondly, how do we lament? Now, we're going to do that over the next four weeks. I just want to be brief in our description today. There's lots of different laments. If you read through the Psalms and all the Bible, there's corporate, individual, there's ones of sorrow, there's ones of vengeance, there's ones of imprecation. There's a wide variety. Um, But there's there's a pattern and if you, if you read through them, you'll, you'll see that there's a pattern that they all, they all seem to follow. It's not always in the exact order, and sometimes the prayers are quite messy. They jump from one step and back and forward and around. But there's a fourfold pattern that is a pathway that the lament leads you along. So I want to show you that. There's four steps if you're taking notes. Firstly, there's the turn. You turn to God in prayer. Secondly, complaint. You bring your complaints to this God in prayer. Thirdly, you ask. You ask boldly to God to intervene. And fourthly, you trust. You choose to trust even if nothing changes. That's how you, but you sort of got to get there. That's why it's a pathway, not just a instantaneous microwaved thing. Psalm 13, if you briefly turn there, is just a really great example of those four steps. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 13, and I'll just show you the four steps again in this psalm. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Firstly, how long, O Lord? What does he do? He begins by turning to God in prayer. And we're going to look at that um, for the rest of our time later. Secondly, he complains in a, in a righteous way. 
How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Maybe you didn't know coming in today that you were allowed to pray prayers like that. That God through His Spirit would invite you to ask in faith questions like that, to bring your complaints. Then look at verse 3 and 4. He turns to ask. This is step 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. So now he's asking, answer me. I'm making this request. Tell me what's going on. But then nothing changes. And verse 5 and 6 is the fourth step. He chooses to trust. But, and a lot of these lament prayers have this turning phrase, this contrast, but or then, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's this pattern from turning to God, to bringing a complaint, to making a request, to choosing to trust. That's the pathway. But I don't want to just give it to us in one sermon. I want us to actually go through the steps so that we can learn actually how to do it for the long run, for the long haul, to help us. Thirdly, why? Why do we need to lament? I think I've already covered most of this for now. But I just want to mention two reasons this morning. Firstly, so that we can bring all of ourselves to God and all of ourselves to those around us. God wants all of you, every part of your heart, every part of your hurt. And lament will help you to bring even the worst parts of your life, the worst things you've done, into his presence. And it will enable you to safely welcome in people in your community to those places so you can lament together. <coughs> Secondly, I want us to study lament because Romans chapter 12 says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And personally, I need to learn how to weep better. And I think we as a church, although very good at it and very caring, could only get better and better at learning to actually weep with those who weep. Not offering platitudes like, I'm sure God will turn it for good. Maybe God will use this situation so that you can evangelize someone else. I'm sure God will give you another X, Y, or Z for your loss. All those things may be true. But the scriptures teach us there is a time to weep. And sometimes it's not time to declare promises. It's time to just cry. The laments teach us that it, it's okay to just weep. It's actually okay to just bring the hurt to God. It's okay to let people grieve. We don't have to turn the grief into positivity or solve it with some kind of triumph. Yes, we live post-Easter Sunday. Yes, we know the Lord will return. Yes, we know all things will be made new. But right now,
But, you know, right now, when you're dealing with something that's really hard, it's okay to weep about it. Because right now, you can't hug your parents if they're in the grave. You don't get to meet a miscarried baby. You never get to grieve a spouse you never had if you're single all your life. You often can't bring a divorced marriage back together. You can't unhear words of abuse. You can't unexperience sexual violence. You can't unsee things. You can't just stop being crippled by anxiety. And so what do you do? Well, you can lament. You can lament. You can weep. You can cry. You can do this with God. And you can do this with others. And it doesn't have to all be okay. It doesn't have to be neat. We saw a couple of weeks ago that at the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus, Jesus himself wept. So what is lament? It is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. How do we lament? We go through these four steps. Why do we lament? So that all of ourselves can be before God and others and so that we can weep with those who weep as a community. I want us now to turn to the first step on the path to lament without time remaining and just show you how this psalm will help us to do the first step, to turn, to turn to God in prayer. Because my hope, as I said, is that we would turn to God and keep turning to God in prayer no matter what has happened in our life. So let's look now at Psalm 77, if you would turn back there in your Bibles. And I want us to walk through this psalm just briefly. We can't uncover everything that's here. But I want us to see five brief things as we go through about how the psalm, this psalm teaches us to turn to God in prayer and to keep turning to God in prayer. Firstly, the first thing I want us to see is pray to God. It's obvious, but look at verse 1. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God. And he will hear me. The first step in lament is actually to take the grief and the sorrow and give it to God. To cry to him. To to moan aloud. to, to, To cry out. To yell out. To him. And know this, friend, when you cry these cries of lament, he will hear you. He doesn't shut his ear. His throne has room for praise and pain. He doesn't just accept our cries of victory, but also our cries of pain. And so the first thing we must see and mustn't skip over is that we must pray to God. Don't get stuck in the silence. 
Maybe you think he's not listening because he's not acting or he's not caring because he's not changing. And so you become silent. You stop praying about that issue. You stop talking to him because it feels like just nothing is happening and he doesn't care. The first step to lament is to start talking again. To arise out of the silence and talk to the Lord about it. So firstly, if you're in this silence, can I encourage you, however ugly it may be, however weak, to talk to God again about what's really going on. He's more merciful and gracious than you could ever imagine. And he already knows. And so he already knows what's going on in your heart. And so you can have the safety to bring it to him. So firstly, pray to God. Secondly, pray your struggles. Verse 2 to 4. Pray your struggles. Look at, look at the psalmist. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Okay, that's good. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. All night prayer. But look at this. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. Open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He prays his struggle. Because for the psalmist, praying didn't fix it. Praying to God, crying aloud to God, didn't make it better. It didn't work, inverted commas. He's prayed all night, he's moaned, he's complained, he's cried out, but still he actually feels worse. Don't think that if you start praying these lament prayers that instantly things are just going to feel better again. That's not how it works. At least according to this psalm, it gets worse. It hurts him. To meditate on God hurts his soul. Because there's the wrestle, there's the struggle, there's the unknown. But we see that we're called to pray the struggle and to tell God we're struggling. You don't have to sanitize your prayers. You're allowed to say, when I think of you, O God, I moan. When I meditate on what's happening, I feel like fainting and giving in. You're allowed to keep praying the same laments. That's why they're in Scripture. But the point is that we would pray and keep praying. This psalm is here to teach us to not stop. And so now we look at the third thing I want us to see. So firstly, pray to God, then pray your struggles, and then pray your questions. Look, it keeps on going. It doesn't get better. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, I said... Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. You think, oh, maybe it's going to get better. Versus, now we have like six questions. I said, sorry, then my spirit made a diligent search. Verse 7, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? 
Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? The psalmist knows the truth. He knows that these things aren't real, but they feel real to him. It feels like the one who said, my steadfast love will never cease. Well, it feels like your love has ceased. Yet we're invited to ask the question. You're invited to ask those questions to the Lord. Do you have questions like this that you're even too afraid to say out loud? Do you wrestle with doubts? Do you want to ask, do you care? Are you good? Do you only protect others but not me? Can you not see, O oh Lord, how much pain I'm in? Don't you know that I can't take any more? Will you ever let anything good happen to me? Pray your questions. Don't just think them. Pray your questions. Don't bury them. Pray your questions and you will find that in the praying and expressing of these prayers, God may begin to work in you again. And that leads us to the fourth thing I want us to see, verse 10, that prayer turns us around. We turn to God in prayer, but prayer turns us around. Look at verse 10. This is the, the turning point. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. So verse 6, he said, My spirit made a diligent search. He turned and it got worse. But now he kept on praying. He kept on praying. Kept on praying. Verse 10, then, okay, this hasn't worked. I will appeal to this, to the, you know, the eternality of God. And then verse 11 to 13, this is what I will do. My life isn't working, so I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to look at the history. I'm going to look at the past. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. By praying and praying and praying through the night, through the wearying, through the questions, through the struggle, through the moaning, suddenly, or gradually, I don't know, something started to lift. He turned his focus from his life to a sure fact of reality, who God is and what God has done. That God has demonstrated his great character and demonstrated his great works. This is the possibility of lament. Rather than just saying, I trust God, when we express it, it can actually turn our hearts to come back to actually trusting Him. This psalm teaches us to turn to God and keep turning to God in prayer. That prayer may turn us. And the final thing that I want us to see, and it's a great way to end our prayers and to help us, is to, number five, pray the gospel. It's exactly what the psalmist does here. The climactic redemption event of the Old Testament is what comes to mind for the psalmist in verses 14 through to 20. He goes back to the great old story. Verse 15 
You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, that's the Red Sea, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Verse 19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. When we turn to God in prayer, we can pray the gospel back to our souls again. The Exodus was the great moment, the great dividing line in Israelite history where they knew God was surely for them. Like a shepherd, he led his people like a flock through those impossible waters with the Egyptian army on their heels into safety and security and covenant and land and blessing and a great nation. And do we not have a better story, an even greater story to pray to ourselves again? We have the story of the great Good shepherd who came to lead us out of our greatest enemy, death and sin, into the greatest promised land, the one that can never be taken. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We need to pray the gospel. We need to call to mind and meditate the great act of redemption that God has done in sending Christ into the world for your sin, for your shame, for your guilt. And pinning him on a cross, he poured out his holy wrath upon him, his holy hatred of your sin. He pinned it on Christ so that you could be objects of his everlasting favour and covenant. We need to pray this truth into our soul. Even if we don't believe it, even if we don't feel it, in that moment we pray it and we remind ourselves and we tell ourselves again the great old story. In the midst of your suffering, declare the gospel to your soul so that your soul is sweetened by its aroma. And it may not work. It may not fix it in the moment. But notice how this psalm does end quite abruptly. It doesn't go back. It doesn't end with anything else. It just ends with, my situation hasn't changed, but God, you're a shepherd and I trust you in that. And that's where it can get you. Even if you have no idea why it's all happening, you're like, whoa, you sent your son on a cross. You rose him again. You're my shepherd. So we pray the gospel. Step one in the journey of lament. Step one along the pathway from pain to praise. The ground zero of lament is to turn to God in prayer and to keep turning. Pray to God. Pray your struggles, pray your questions, pray the gospel, and perhaps over time these prayers will turn you back to God. So friends, lament is a grace from God. 
It is a prayer in pain that over time will lead us to trust again. It will be hard. It won't solve everything. But over time, I believe God will use this great language of prayer to help us and heal us and trust him. Instead of merely trusting that God won't give us more plates of suffering to spin, it'll actually help us to trust him no matter what he brings. Joni Erickson Tada, after a, year, a lifetime of paralysis and quadriplegia and suffering, said this, I was amazed to learn that God welcomes our laments. I would eventually learn mainly through lamentations and psalms, that nothing is more freeing than knowing God understands. When we are in pain, God feels the sting in his chest. Our frustrations and questions do not fluster him. He knows all about them. He wrote a book on them. More astoundingly, he invites us to come and air our grievances before him. Church, let us come. Let us air our grievances together and let us learn how to lament. We're going to close in prayer and then we're going to sing a song of lament and a chance for you to begin to express some of these prayers, some of these languages, some of these words. Let me pray. Oh Lord, I pray and ask that you would do a mighty work in us to help us to enter into these difficult emotions and circumstances. I pray and ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would turn us back to you again. We do not know, O Lord, why you do all that you do. We may never know. We do cry out, why and how long? Are you hearing and do you care? But ultimately, O Lord, we trust you. And we cry out that as your little sheep, as your church, we trust you and ask that as our great shepherd, you would lead us through the waters and you would guide us all the way home, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.